0: I'm a sucker for the doxology. It's just, there's not, not a whole lot of songs that immediately I feel my hands just go up when I hear it. But I, I, and I can't imagine how many times that song has been sung in this room. And we are a part of a tradition, church, uh, the tradition of Christ followers. And uh, it's a privilege to gather together and to read and study God's word together. Amen. So good morning once again. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, and it should be pretty easy to find. It's actually the last chapter in the Bible. Okay, so flip to the maps and then go to the left. Okay, Revelation chapter 22. And if you've ever read like the last page of a book because you want to know how it ends, that's kind of what we're doing this morning. We're looking to the end. We're looking to eternity with Jesus in heaven. And that is what we have been studying over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Let me share with you a couple of questions we've tackled so far. Uh, The first question we, we asked is, heaven real? Is heaven a real place? And the resounding answer to that, church, is yes. Heaven is a real place. And Christians really do go to this place called heaven when we die. Second question we asked was last week, what is heaven like? And Pastor Allen preached on that text that we looked at, and he reminded us that the curse of sin has no bearing. It cannot touch the hope that we have in our eternal home with Christ. And we learned that heaven is a place of no more suffering, no more pain, and we're death, just eternal joy in the presence of God. Today we're going to consider a question that maybe you've asked yourself before. We're going to ask this question, what will we do in heaven? And I think that's a really interesting topic. What are we going to do when we get to heaven? So summer break is coming up, and as we referenced earlier, All the adults are like, yay, I get to go to work. And all the kids are excited, right? They're pumped. My kids are pumped because why? No school, right? No homework, sleepovers maybe, or maybe they're going to the pool or the beach. Life changes for the better for them. But at some point in the summer, I think all parents can identify with this. At some point in the summer, parents start hearing this from their kids, mom, dad, dad, I'm bored, I'm so bored. You ever heard that, parents? Yeah, once or twice? Here's the thing, heaven is not going to be a boring place. Maybe today you kind of fear heaven a little bit because you fear it's just going to be kind of boring. Like maybe you've heard the pastor uh, at a church say, uh, if you don't like long worship services, you're really not going to like heaven And maybe you're thinking that heaven is just like a bunch of pews. And you just get to go sit there and you have to be a part of this never-ending worship service with no bathroom breaks. Like, maybe that's what heaven is. Or maybe you have the thought in your mind that maybe we're just all sitting around on like fluffy cloud couches playing our harps. Like, maybe that's what heaven looks like. Here's the thing. Heaven is a place that you're going to want to be forever and ever Do you remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That that doesn't sound too bad, does it, church? In paradise. So today we are going to consider what we will do in heaven. With that being said, let's go to God's word. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7 reads, And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So the last two chapters in Revelation are Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And the theme in those chapters is the eternal home of God's people. And everything else up until that point will have passed. Things are going to be different at this point. No more people will be born at this point. No more people will be saved at this point because God's family will be complete. And as we read last week, there will be the new heavens and the new earth, and I don't know what it will look like. Uh, I once heard a brother in Christ say, maybe it will be like Avatar. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be great. Uh, One time, our family went on a vacation, and we had some extended family join us on the vacation. And when we got there, uh, one of our family members pulls out printed itineraries for the whole family, Some of you are like, that sounds great. And it had this like detailed itinerary schedule for what our vacation was going to be like. I was like, "Eh, I don't know about that. Here's the thing. We don't see a detailed itinerary of what heaven will be like, but we do get glimpses. We do get glimpses of what heaven will be like. And so with that being said, we're going to look at three aspects of what our daily life is in heaven, in the new heavens, in the the new earth will be like. First thing we're going to look at is we will serve the Lord. What are we going to do? We will serve the Lord. Look at verse 3 of Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Okay, so servants Will worship him. Let me show you the New King James translation, which says this look at that last phrase, and his servants will serve him. So, church, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, we are going to serve the Lord. Another way of putting it is we're gonna work. We're gonna work for the Lord. We're gonna serve him through acts of service. And that means that we're gonna have jobs assignments in the new heavens and the new earth. So here at downtown church, we have ways that you can serve this church. By the way, shameless plug, uh, we need nursery workers and kids workers. So think about that. Uh, Our our church is growing, praise God. Uh, But there are ways that you can serve here at downtown church. And when you sign up for that role, that's your role, that's your job assignment. That is how you serve Christ church now you might hear all of this and think wait 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 you're saying when I get to paradise I gotta work yes but it's not work like you might be thinking and we'll talk through that together work is actually a good thing let me show you a passage from Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 Which reads, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so what's interesting about this verse? This is talking about at creation. You got Adam and he's put Adam in the garden. Now, here's the interesting part. This is pre-sin, okay? This is before Adam and Eve messed everything up, okay? And what does God tell Adam, this is what you're going to do? In that verse, it says that he is going to work in the garden and he's going to keep it. This is what he would do in that garden. Now, work, as we know it, took a turn for the worse in the next chapter. Check out Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, which reads, And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Do you see what happened? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Sin enters the world and all of a sudden work becomes hard. Hard. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Sweat, and I knew it, sweat is actually a result of the curse. And as a hot-natured guy in Mobile, Alabama, I cannot wait for the new heavens in the new earth. Can I get an amen? Where's Brother Kaysen? Can we, amen, yeah, right? All right, amen. All right, so here's the thing. Work is a good thing. Work is also a God And here's why I say that. Because God himself is a worker. We see this all throughout the Bible. Let me show you one example at creation. where We see this very clearly in creation. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Again and again, God worked from, uh, and rested from his work that he had done. And so for six days, God works. And then on the seventh day, God stops working. He rests. We'll talk about that in a second. When God worked for six days, this wasn't like light yard work, okay? It's not like God picked up a rake and was just tidying up the garden, okay? God created the whole universe. He created light. And the skies and the moon and the stars and the planets and the vegetation and people and creatures in the sea and the sky, on land. God worked. And then on the seventh day, God did not work. He rested. Uh, back in the 1700s, a guy named Isaac Newton, maybe you've heard of him before. Isaac Newton had a theory about God. Isaac Newton believed in God. And he believed that God created the world. But what was interesting about Isaac Newton's theory about God was that God created the world much like a clockmaker makes a clock. So the clockmaker works very hard and intently on intricately designing the clock. And then the clock is wound up. And then the clockmaker steps away from the clock and is no longer at work in the clock, right? You tracking? So, God, being the clockmaker, so to speak, intricately designed the universe, wound it up, and stepped back, and is no longer involved in creation. Now, here's the problem with that. I want to encourage you this morning God did not step back. God created the world, and He did work, and the scriptures are very clear that God is still working. Hear me, God is working all around you, whether you realize this or not. He's working in your life. And if you will listen and respond and obey, you will see him work more and more. So God is actively involved in this world. In fact, look at John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am Working. If you like to underline in your Bible, I would underline the present tense there. God is working until now. I am working. Not a passive step back role. He's actively involved in our world and in our lives. So work is a God thing. One more thing about work, I'll say. Work will be a joyous thing. Now, some of you... Uh, don't really buy that. Okay. Maybe your job requires long hours and you're like, nope, don't like work one bit. Or maybe you deal with just people that are kind of a pain in the neck. Okay. Or maybe you've got a boss that you just really don't care for. And so work is hard for you. And the idea of working forever seems pretty disheartening to you. Here's the thing. When we get to heaven, The work that we're going to be doing, it's not going to be sin-cursed work. It's going to be a blessing. We're going to be serving the Lord, and it will be fulfilling as we serve the Lord. Now, you might be wondering, what kind of jobs will we do in heaven? Can I see some job descriptions so I can go ahead and be thinking about that? And the answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea what jobs God has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. But our text for today does say this. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. Church, according to God's word, we... His people, those who have faith in Jesus, whose spirit dwells in us right now, one day we will reign with him forever and ever. And I don't think that's going to be a begrudging thing to experience. I think it's going to be incredibly wonderful as we experience serving the Lord for all eternity. So we will serve the Lord. What else will we do? We will also rest in the Lord Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 again. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations it's beautiful imagery there if you didn't catch that so I love watching a good movie but I really love movies where there's like beautiful landscapes and I'm like oh I want to go there someday here's the thing what we just read and as we think about the new heavens and the new earth we're not talking about a fictional place in a fictional story You can get caught up in a movie and enjoy it for the moment. But we're talking about, church, something that we will experience. And not just like a quick weekend getaway experience. This is where we will live. This is is where we will reside for all eternity. And note the peaceful and restful imagery in this text. In verse 1, it mentions a river of the water of life. And then in verse 2, it mentions on each side of the river the tree of life with all kinds of fruit, bearing new fruit each month. And I, I think that's an interesting thing to put in the text there, that we're going to get, like, new fruit every month. Like, oh, I wonder what the next fruit is going to be. You know, the, the next season of fruit in the new heavens in the new earth. And keep in mind, this is paradise. So, yes, we will have roles and assignments in the new heavens, in the new earth, but we're also gonna rest in the new heavens, in the new earth. And by the way, rest is actually really important to God. And he wants it to be really important to God's people. Earlier we referenced how God rested on that seventh day, on that Sabbath day. He worked six days, rested on the seventh. And then God takes that As a command and passes it on to his people. In fact, let me share with you a text from the Old Testament. Exodus 34, verse 21 reads, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. So that's the command. Now I want you to pay attention to the latter part of this verse. This is interesting to me. In plowing time and in harvest... You shall rest. So the command is work six days, rest on the seventh. Oh, by the way, in plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Okay, I don't pretend to be a farmer. I don't pretend to know a lot about farming. But I do know this. There's two times in a farmer's life when they're going to be really tempted to not rest. When they got to get stuff in the ground and when they got to get stuff out of the ground in plowing time and in harvest. And we learned something really important there, that even in the busiest, most intense seasons of our life, church, we need to rest. And I'm not just talking about Sunday afternoon naps. I love that too, okay? What I'm talking about is a rhythm of rest and not just take a nap rest, but also orient our minds to the things of God rest. Here's the thing about that rhythm that we see and that command that we see in the Old Testament. It does present a biblical idea for us. We need this rhythm of rest, this rhythm of orienting our mind to the things of God. But it also points and it foreshadows a rest that is most needed for us, church. A rest for our souls. Let me share with you a quote. Uh, This is from somebody named Augustine. Augustine uh, is back from the mid-300s to uh, mid-400s. And this is the quote from Augustine. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Okay, leave that up for a second because that's one of those you can't just gloss over and keep going. Okay, Augustine, he was a theologian. And what he's doing is he's talking about the old and the New Testaments. Let me read it again and think about what he's saying here. The new, New Testament, is in the old concealed. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. Did did you catch what he's saying there? He's saying when you read the Old Testament, there's some things that are concealed. You don't fully see them come to fruition until you get to the New Testament and they're revealed. And same with the New Testament. You can read the New Testament and you can realize there's some Old Testament truths that were concealed but now revealed. I share that with you to say this. This idea of rest that we see in the scriptures, this idea of Sabbath rest, there was something concealed in the Old Testament. It reveals itself in the New Testament. Let me share it with you what I mean. This is a passage where Jesus was speaking maybe you've heard this before Matthew 11:28 reads Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light There's a lot that we could say about that passage, but one truth that we can take to the bank church is that our souls find rest in Christ alone. Let me say that again. Our souls find rest. We find that ultimate Sabbath rest in Christ alone. And what are we resting from? In the Old Testament, the command really centered on that idea of resting from work. But once again, it was pointing to something that our souls desperately needed. Our souls also need to rest from work. Instead of striving to earn our way into heaven, we recognize that Christ is our rest. And that's only amplified in heaven. Let me share with you one more text. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, Psalm 23, as you might know it, the 23rd Psalm. It's the psalm you see crocheted on pillows all over the place, right? There's a reason for that. It's an incredibly restful, comforting psalm. God is our faithful shepherd. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside Those still waters. He restores our soul. It's just rest, right? And it's only found in this good shepherd and in his leading in our life. But what David points out that I appreciate here in this psalm, he doesn't say that's just here in this life. He goes on to say at the end of the psalm, look at verse 6 again, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, we will experience this rest as we follow our good shepherd. Yes, in this life, but we will dwell in his house all the days of our lives. The song just popped in my head. It's a big, big house. Y'all remember that song? We will dwell in his house. If you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, what's he talking about? All right, let's keep going. I'm sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, So we will serve the Lord. We will rest in the Lord. We will also enjoy the Lord. Here's heaven in a nutshell. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those just sound really nice, right? So how do we, how do we experience fullness of joy? Like not just joy, but to the full. How do we experience pleasures forevermore? There's an important phrase in that psalm. Look at it again. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what heaven is. We are in the presence of God. And we will enjoy pleasures forevermore. We recently studied an old document called the Apostles' Creed I really enjoyed that study. I hope you did as well. There's another document that's also an old document that dates back to the 1600s. It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And what's interesting about this catechism is it's written in the form of questions and answers. And it tackles a lot of doctrine that's good for Christians to know. And by the way, parents, I would actually encourage you to walk through that with your kids. It's an incredibly insightful way to memorize biblical truth, okay? So uh, in this, there's a question that I think applies to what we're talking about this morning. Here's the question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, or A Question. What is the chief end of man? Meaning, why do we exist? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever forever. Church, this is why we exist. We exist to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. And that's really what heaven is all about. And so very quickly, let me share with you a few ways we will enjoy him forever. First off, we will enjoy the fullness of his glory. In the Old Testament, a a guy named Moses, maybe you've heard of him too. Moses is on this mountain and he's talking to God and as he's talking to God, he boldly asks God a request. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And what he was really asking was, God, can I see your face? I've seen you working. I've seen you moving, but can I see your face? Here's what God said. Exodus thirty-three twenty. But he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And God was very politely telling Moses, "But if you see me, you're gonna die. You can't handle this. He was being very gracious and compassionate to Moses. And he says, I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do. You're on this mountain, go in the cleft of the rock, this little cutout here, stand there. I'm gonna put my hand in front of you and I'm gonna pass in front of you and you will see my backside as I pass by. You will just catch a glimpse of my glory. And that happened. Moses caught a glimpse of God's glory. And do you remember what Moses looked like when he came down off the mountain? He looked like one of those glow sticks you crack, and his face was just glowing. And the Israelites were like, dude, you're glowing, Moses? And they were terrified. Just a glimpse of God's glory. In the book of Isaiah, we read about an angel or angels. That are around the throne room of God. And they've got six wings. And with two, they're covering their face, with two, they're covering their body, with two, they're covering their feet. And why are they covering themselves? Because they are in the glory of God. They they themselves, these angelic beings that were created to worship God, cannot even stand in the glory of God without covering themselves. Here's why I share that with you. In the new heavens and in the new earth, that all changes. Check this out. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4 reads, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Let me read that again. And as I read it, process children of God. Christians. This is what we will see. They will see his face in his name will be on their foreheads. We can't fully, we can't even partially imagine what this is gonna be like, right? We will see God's face. We will see what Moses could not see. We will experience the fullness of his glory that even the angels can't experience yet. But in the new heavens and in the new earth, his glory will be literally the light of the new heavens and the new earth. And we will see his face. Amen, church? We will also experience the fullness of his joy. Did you know that God likes to celebrate? God really does like to celebrate. Uh, We see this throughout the scriptures, but one story is the prodigal son. Maybe you're familiar with it. Jesus told a story, a parable, of a father with two sons. And in this story, one son says, Dad, I'm going to stay here with you. I'll I'll work the land. I'll do what we need to do around here. The other son says, Dad, I know you're not dead, but I want your inheritance. I want my inheritance now. The father gives him the inheritance. He leaves home, goes out of town, blows every penny that he got from his dad. He has nothing to his name, no money, no property, nothing. And so he finds himself eating pig slop. He's literally at a trough eating pig slop. And he remembers, you know, the hired hands at my dad's property. They had it a lot better than I had it. So maybe, just maybe, I could go home and not be a son, not even be a family member, but just a hired hand. That would be better than this. And do you remember the dad's response as the son starts walking down the road towards his house? The father runs to the wayward son, the one covered in pig slop and probably stunk. This dad grabs him, embraces him, and is kissing him. And this is what he says, Luke chapter 15 But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Here's the thing. God loves to celebrate, especially when someone comes into the family of God especially when someone is found. But even through the Old Testament, God instructed the nation of Israel, hey, have these feasts, have these festivals, have these parties celebrating what I've done in your life. And in the the New Testament, Jesus is telling parables of the kingdom of heaven, saying it's like a big wedding party. It's like a big banquet. It's like a big feast. Heaven's gonna be good. It's gonna be fun. Lastly, I'll share this. We will experience the fullness of his family. Check out Matthew chapter eight, verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is a quick comment from Jesus about heaven, but we actually learned something pretty important. Jesus mentions specific names of specific people who actually walked this earth and loved God. And what he tells us is that one day we will go there and we will see these guys. You might be able to sit across the table from Daniel and be like, dude, what was going through your mind before you were thrown in that lion's den? Or maybe you see David and you're like, dude, tell me the story. Like, I I know it, but tell me. Taking down Goliath, what was that like? You'll be able to see people, believers who actually walk this earth. Can I get personal with you for a moment though? This also includes loved ones that we've lost. Brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed from this life. I sincerely believe you will not only know their name, you'll see them, you'll touch them. You can Recline at table with them as this passage says. Maybe for you it's it's a grandparent or a mom or a dad, a spouse, a brother, a sister. And as I'm saying those things specific names are popping up all across the room right now. Be encouraged. If they knew Jesus and you know Jesus, You will see them again. Now, I want to be very clear. Jesus is the joy of heaven. Okay? The joy of heaven is not seeing that loved one. That's icing on the cake. Okay? The cake is Jesus. Okay? He is the joy of heaven. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. But it's pretty cool. And pretty encouraging that we will see those loved ones again. Last thought Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. Last two verses of the Bible, and I'll move through this quickly. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Heaven. Is not a place for all people. I want to say that again. Heaven is not a place for all people. All people don't go to heaven. Heaven is a place for God's people. Jesus in the book of Revelation says, Surely, meaning verily, this is going to happen, I am coming soon. Now we don't know when soon is. Soon could be in three seconds. Or soon could be in three decades or three centuries. We don't know. But we do know this. We need to be ready. We need to be ready for when we are called home. If you're a Christian and you believe this gospel, according to God's word, you have the spirit of God as a deposit, as a guarantee of things to come, of that eternal inheritance that you have through Christ. But if you're here today and you maybe are wondering, maybe you're not sure if you have that deposit, if you have that spirit inside of you, if you're a Christian, please know this is a perfect opportunity to profess faith in Jesus, to repent of your sin and say, Lord Jesus, I give you everything. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time of response. And I would encourage everyone here to respond to the word of God. If you're a Christian, I hope you've been encouraged by the eternal truths that we've been studying this morning. Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now. Please know God helps us in our times of need but our suffering is but for a moment. If today you realize I'm lost, I'm not found, please know that you can come forward today just as that prodigal son did and returned to the father. And there will be a celebration in heaven if you do. And there will be a celebration here as well. Lord, we love you. We give you praise And we're so undeserving to even be called your children, much less have an eternal home that has been prepared for us. And yet that's exactly what you've done. Thank you for the hope of Christ. Thank you for the gospel. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.